Hi, and welcome to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message, where we study scripture together verse by verse. Let's jump in now for this week's message. Uh, What you believe about salvation specifically is what is going to be passed along to those closest and dearest to you. It's not necessarily what you say you believe, it's actually how you believe it. Because here again, in the, in the church world, we do this, oh, salvation by grace and by faith. That's, that's all important. But then we live as though works is what's most important. What you believe about salvation specifically is going to be passed along to those nearest and dearest to you. This is not an issue to guess at, sir. Put the onus on the men. You need to study biblical salvation. Know what it is. Exemplify it in your home. What you believe about your salvation is not something to be cavalier. It is is of eternal significance. You'd better know what the Bible has to say about salvation. Paul warns that others are going to teach something different and cause divisions. It's not a matter of if people are going to teach something different. He is warning it is a matter of when they teach something different other than biblical soteriology. There are going to be people who identify, oh boy, that's a loaded word, isn't it? I mean, the world uses it now. I would argue that, well, the church started it. Watch this. There are going to be people who identify as followers of Christ. Yeah, see? Who are going to teach something other than the biblical plan for being a follower of Christ. They're going to say, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, if you can identify as a cat, I can identify as a follower of Christ. But you don't look like a follower of Christ. You don't act like a follower of Christ. You don't do anything that looks like you're following Christ. Yeah, but I'm a follower of Christ. There's a problem. There's a problem. There's a problem, church. There are entire movements who claim to be Christian churches who do not believe in salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brent, not here in conservative Farmington, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This makes me crazy, actually. This is kind of one of my soapboxes of churches that claim to be Christian churches, but then they do not believe in salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they believe in salvation by works, by good works. I'm going to hammer this later on. Believe in salvation by works or by becoming a member of their church. Which that's really one of my soapboxes because sometimes people come in and they're like, where's your membership card? What do I need to do, be, do become, what do I need to do be, to become a member? I'm like, dude, the son of God died on the cross, shed his blood to purchase your membership into the body of Christ. I don't have a card better than that. Amen. I mean, you can come to our essentials class, but I still is not, mm-mm. Paul warns us, stay away from these people. Stay away from them. But Brent, they're really nice people. I don't want to offend them. The scripture here tells us they are deceived and they will seek to deceive you. 
Oh, Brenda, it's no big deal. Oh, your salvation is a big deal. Don't be deceived. Verse 19, but everyone knows that you, the believers in Rome that Paul's writing to, everyone knows that you are obedient to the Lord. This makes me, Paul, very happy. I want you to be wise, be wise in doing right, and to stay innocent of any wrong. The God of peace, I like how Paul here at the end of Romans keeps, he keeps adding to the, the attributes of God. The God of peace, there's actually a conflict here. You have the God of peace will soon what? Crush. Y'all remember Tombstone? Wyatt Earp goes to get his gun out. Tombstone. I know I kind of dated myself, the movie Tombstone. Wyatt Earp, he's fixing to go down to the OK Corral. This is a great illustration. He goes to get his pistol out of the box. He opens the box. It's a big dramatic moment, you guys. Google it on YouTube or whatever you do. He opens the box. There's a name on his pistol. What is it? Yes, yes. Thank you, Diane. Thank you, Debbie. The rest of you, we will be watching Tombstone during service next week. (laughs) because it has great theological significance. The name of Wyatt Earp's pistol is Peacemaker. Now, I don't know if that's historically accurate, but dude, that is cool, because we got to get back to our text. <laughs> the God of peace is going to crush Satan under your feet. Oh, that's the God of peace. Anyways, has nothing to do with anything. May the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Number two is in my be wise, is be wise in doing right. There is a common mistake when it comes to the theology of doing right. Common mistake, very common, because we tend to be egocentric, self-centered, very at the center of me is me. And so if I'm going to be saved, I have to save myself and I have to do, I have to earn it. I have to get it right. And so this whole doing right theology is in our, in our fallen nature, in our, the DNA of our sinfulness. So doing right does not make us right before God. Doing right does not make you saved. If I could just get, become a nice enough person, a good enough person, then I would go to church and then God would like me. No, still wouldn't like you. Doing right cannot make up for the sins you've already committed. Because you hear that every once in a while. Sometimes people will say, oh, I did a lot of bad things, and so now I'm just trying to live in a way to make up for my past. There's no making up for your past. Your sin, sinful, terrible, horrible, stinky. God's wrath is coming after it. You're not going to do good enough to make up for your bad. No. You need more than doing right for salvation. God saw this coming. You need forgiveness. You need forgiveness of the sin, but then you also need a transformation of your being. And that's why being good is, falls way, way, woefully short of salvation because you need God's forgiveness and you need transformation. Listen to me carefully. It is because of the work of salvation to set you free from the penalty of sin and the power of sin that you are doing right 
at all. Did you catch what I said? It is because of salvation that you are doing right. Belief in Christ comes first through the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Then you are able to do right. Be wise about your doing right. Sometimes we act kind of like the rich young ruler. Remember the story of the rich young ruler comes to Jesus? We kind of come skipping along. Oh, hey, God, guess what? I've kept all the commandments. Go to Desert Heights Church. First service could say we laughed at Brent's jokes. Second service can't say that. I can't. <laughs> See, even then it's like, nope, ain't gonna laugh. Ain't gonna do it, Brent. Just try to make me laugh. Nope. I kept all the commandments. I'm a good person. Jesus, aren't you impressed with my goodness, Jesus? And Jesus says, nope. I come to church. I even, I give to the church so that they can put chicken wire on the outside of the building. It's a weird decoration choice. I'm nice to my spouse most of the time. In fact, I'm even nice to people I don't know at church. Really getting out there to greet, you know, last week, greet with a kiss. Oh, heaven help us. I even make my kids go to church on Wednesday night. Kind of a zing there. Jesus, aren't you impressed with my goodness? No, no. Be wise. Don't be deceived by others or by your own thinking that your doing good makes you right before God in the least bit. It does not. It is only because of the blood of Jesus that we just celebrated a few minutes ago. It is only because of the blood of Jesus that you are forgiven of your sins and that the presence of the Holy Spirit, that you have the opportunity to behave in a God-glorifying way. That's cool. So be wise in your doing good because it's a work of God in you anytime you do good. Wisdom comes from knowing and fearing the Lord, knowing that we are dependent upon him for any good in our lives. Does that make sense? I have kind of a personal note in my notes and I have plenty of time, so I'm not gonna skip it. This is extra, by the way. Wisdom would take this out, but hey, we've already thrown wisdom out with the tombstone reference, so here we go. <laughs> That's one of my favorite illustrations. I've used it a lot. Personal observation, my opinion here. Listen carefully. Self-righteous as opposed, as opposed to Christ-righteous Christians. Self-righteous Christians are annoying people. I'm going to put that in my translation when I write it. I'm going to add it as a footnote into the book of Romans. Self-righteous. In the New Testament, you had the Pharisees, self-righteous. They were given the law. They take the law. They make themselves perfect. They impose it on other people, try to make other people perfect with the law. We beat them over the head, trying to make people be perfect, trying to make your kids be perfect, trying to make your nieces and nephews be perfect, trying to make your aunts and uncles be perfect, your brothers and your sisters, your, everybody has to be, be perfect. Don't be angry, right? This is why the church has stereotypes, bad stereotypes, because we are, we are wired in our sinfulness to be self-righteous. 
I don't want to trust in God to make me righteous because that makes me vulnerable. So I will make myself righteous and I will show you. Oh, that's a problem. That's, that's a real problem. Self-righteous Christians are annoying people. They are stuck, watch this, between knowing the standard of God's perfect righteousness. So we read the book, so we know that God is the one true holy God, and he will not tolerate any sin in his presence. And so we know the standard of God's perfect righteousness, but simultaneously the insecurity of our own the insecurity of our own inability to obtain that righteousness on our own is frustrating. We have a lot of frustrated Christians. They know the standard. They hear about Jesus, but they don't trust him. They still trust themselves. So they're trying to get to the standard of an eternal God, and they can't, and they're annoying. All jokes aside, Jesus gives us grace to overcome all of that. He, he gives us grace to stop being annoying because, because in the forgiveness of Christ Jesus, there's peace. He says, yeah, Brent, you have fouled up so bad, but I'm gonna forgive you for everything that you've done. I'm gonna paint you white as snow. I'm gonna recreate you white as snow and put you before God the Father, the perfectly holy God who sees and knows all things. And he's gonna be pleased with you. You're forgiven. There's no need to go get your peacemaker. Yeah, the God of peace crushes Satan. How? By forgiving our sins, wiping them away. Satan comes and says, Brent, you're a sinner. And I say, God already forgave me, man. I don't, I got nothing. I just stand before him humble and holy. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. I didn't do anything. There we have this little interlude in the text where Paul is sending greetings to, uh, to those in Rome. So last week we talked about Paul is writing his greetings to all these people with crazy names. And now the people that travel with Paul are writing their greetings. So in verse 21, he says, Timothy, my fellow worker, sends you his greetings, as do Lucius, uh, Jason, and Sosipater. Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, the one writing this letter for Paul, so um, Paul probably had some eye problems. It's probably why someone else is doing the writing for him. Uh, we don't know for absolutely sure. That's the assumption. Um, so uh, Tertius is the one writing the letter for Paul. Send my greetings to as one of the Lord's followers. Verse 23, Gaius says hello to you. Uh, he is my host and also serves as a host to the whole church. Erastus, the city treasurer, sends you his greetings and so does our brother Quartus. And then Paul's final words in this letter to the believers of Rome. And this gets us to point number two. And now I gotta hurry up because I've dawdled. Dawdled, It's <laughs> a good word. All right. Everybody say this point. Here we go. All glory to God. Try it one more time. All glory to God. If you've been around Desert Heights for the last, I don't know, three, four, 19 years, there's a theme that always is pointing us away from you and toward the glory of God. 
Every book of the Bible does it. You know what? It would be great to have a sermon series just be like, for the glory of God. That'd be good, huh? <laughs> we already did that. It's on the website. You can look it up. All right. I was just trying, I was checking to see if anybody was paying attention for those four years we were in that series. Okay. I don't try to come up with series every week. No way. All glory to God. All glory to God. This is why I wrote, I wrote this is why I read Re Revelation 7 uh, at the beginning of service, because this is just, it's this consuming worship to the eternal God. Verse 25, he says, now, now at the end, sense of finality, completion, now all glory to God. A little qualifying explanation here. Who is, what's the word? This all glory to God. Which God? The God who is able to make who? You strong. Oh, I can't wait to get there. All right. Just as my good news says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan to you Gentiles. Remember the Gentiles? It was everybody that's not Jews. A plan kept secret from the beginning of time. The redemption of the Jew was kept secret. I mean, the Gentiles was kept secret from the beginning of time. Verse 26. But now, as the prophets foretold, they let the secret out. And as the eternal God has commanded, I hear God saying, light be right there, right? He says, he says Gentiles, salvation. This message is made known. This message, the good news, is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory, here he goes again, all glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. That is such good text. So verse 25, we're going to rewind just a little bit here. Verse 25 brings us back to this foundation of faith the foundation of our faith in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, now all glory to God who is able to make you strong. Who makes you strong? God makes you strong. Well, I thought if I did my soap and came to church every Sunday, I'd be strong. Well, it helps, but God is the one who has the ability to make you strong, okay? So look at this verse, absorb this verse. All glory belongs to God who is able to make you, even you, strong. You know that one of my pet peeves in Christianity is when people come to church, usually they've been in church for like 30 or 40 years, whenever they do something along the lines of, oh, it's so hard to be a Christian. And I'm like, oh, it's so, it's so hard to serve God. You know what you need? You need a new God. That's what you need. You need a whole new God because the God of the Bible is able to make you strong. That's so hard. Get a different God. Your God's worthless. Hmm. Seriously. <laughs> the life of faith, the life of faith is not focused on you, your ability, or your inability. Both are mistakes. 
The life of faith is not focused on you, your ability, or your inability. The life of faith is not focused on your goodness or your lack of goodness. The life of faith is not focused on your strength or your lack of strength. The life of faith, living in faith, living by faith in God, is trusting every moment that the God of peace who crushes Satan, is able to give you the strength you need to live for his glory. You see, we get all bumfuzzled because we think that we're going to come to Christianity and we're going to have salvation as an accessory to the life I want. God does not want the same life for you that you want. What you want is most likely Sinful, selfish, full of pride, arrogant, and stinky. He wants to be glorified. The living, eternal, holy God wants to be glorified in your little vessel. You got something better than that, Jack? No, you don't. Do you understand what we're doing here? Living in faith is trusting every moment of my being that God is able to give me the strength that I need to live for his glory. This is the promise of the good news of Jesus Christ, that God would be glorified in just little old Gentile Brent. That's huge. promise of God is that through the work of Jesus, God can be glorified even in you. I kind of got ahead of myself. You don't have to sin. I'm kind of taking on a common saying, oh, I just had to do that. No, you didn't. Because Romans 6, we're slaves to sin. But then whenever we go further along, we're set free from the power of sin. That's what was the work of the cross. We're set free from being slaves to sin. So you don't have to sin. You can behave in a righteous, God-glorifying way. The implication here in verse 25 is even you Gentiles, even you Gentiles can be saved. God's plan has not has been not to reveal his glory only to the Jews. God's plan has not been to only reveal his glory to the Jews, but through the Gentiles as well, which is even a bigger task. Does that make sense? We have like we have the, the home team, the Jews. They're, they're okay. I mean, we gave them the law and they screwed that all up. And, and then we tried to redeem them and they messed up again. And, but we, that God has been trying to corral the Jews all this time while all of us, us Gentiles have just been out there sending it up, just being wrong pagans, right? And Paul comes along and he goes, God's plan has been to even not just redeem his, his own children, the Jews, he's going to redeem those really bad kids that misbehave during church service. That's us, the Gentiles. That was a good analogy, so you got that one. Okay, keep your analogy just to church, not movies and not guns. Look at this, look at this. This message about Jesus Christ this message about Jesus Christ was revealed in his plan for you Gentiles, okay? His plan. A plan kept secret from the beginning of time. What? God's plan all along was to reconcile even Gentiles, those sinners furthest from God, to himself. That was his plan. Well, Brent, I'm a really, really bad sinner. I know. 
You're the target of salvation. That's been God's plan all along. To redeem, to reconcile, to make holy the most unholy of all of his creation. You're in. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know how big my God is. God's plan all along was to reconcile not just the Jews, but the Gentiles back to himself. Verse 26, he says, but now, but now there's a sense of completion. As the prophets foretold, as the prophets foretold, and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey. God's plan before Genesis 1-1 was to redeem the worst of sinners, godless Gentiles like you and I, okay? He revealed his plan through the Old Testament prophets. I think that this is just ingenious what is happening here. It's actually not ingenious. It's ingenious what God does. It's moronic what humanity does. So the Old Testament prophets, they say, God is going to make salvation available to the non-Jews. And you know what the Jews did? Nope, 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 don't get that. That doesn't make any sense at all. God's word must be wrong. We don't believe that. Over and over, Old Testament prophet after Old Testament prophet, he says, God is going to send his son, in so many words, and he's going to redeem, he's going to make salvation available to every family. In Genesis 12, the, the uh, uh, Abrahamic covenant, he's going to make salvation available to every family on the earth. And you know what the Jews did? Nah, I don't believe that. The Old Testament prophets said multiple times the salvation is coming to the Gentiles and God's plan for you is very simple. It's been prophesied over and over. God put it in the minds, in the mouths of the prophets. They prophesied that salvation was going to be available to you and I. And then we come along. God has commanded it. And so now this secret is out. It has been revealed. God's plan for you is very simple, that you might believe and obey him. I'm not sure what God's plan for my life is. That you would believe and obey him. Yeah, but I got a whole bunch of decisions I got to make and it's really complicated. Just believe and obey him. We like to complicate God's simple wisdom. Well, Brent, what should I do? You should believe in God, trust that he is right, and obey his instructions. Doing the sinful thing is never what God wants you to do. Never. But it's safer. No. No, it's not. But what if? It's not for you to second guess the wisdom of God. It is for you to believe and obey. Do what glorifies God right now. And as these little weak vessels who have been damaged and broken by sin, just believe and obey, then all glory is revealed in the one wise God, you just be the vessel of believing and obeying, and then God does all the rest. Yeah, but I want to. No, <laughs> don't mess with it. It's a perfect, perfect salvation. Don't mess with it. There is no other wise God. 
There is no other wise God. There is only the God who devised and executed a plan for demonstrating his wisdom and glory by creating perfection. Follow me here. This this all-wise God, he created perfection, and then he allowed its corruption. And then he redeems all of that creation. Even humanity, his plan is to redeem it all not to its original state. I don't want to be redeemed back to the state of Adam. Some theologians say that Adam was in the garden for eight hours before he sinned. Surely God can redeem me better than that. I don't want to be redeemed back to the garden of Eden. He's not redeeming us back to our original state, to Genesis 1, but to his own state. God is redeeming us back to his own state of glory Well, that's good, Brent. That's really good. By purchasing you and I into his family with the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. You see, he doesn't just bring us in and make us objects of his affection. He brings us in and he makes us family. He purchases us. He adopts us. He causes us to be reborn. All of these words of the Old Testament that that indicate a transformation. You are not coming into the kingdom of God as a sinful Gentile. You are coming into the kingdom of God as a transformed child of God forever and ever and ever. Amen. There is no greater message. No greater good news on this earth than God's good news of your salvation. I want to challenge you this morning. Believe and obey. You've been listening to the Desert Heights Church Weekly Message. We would like to invite you to one of our service times at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings here in Farmington, New Mexico. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at desertheightschurch.com.